Well, hello, Crossroads family. Thanks for worshiping with us today, whether you're worshiping online or here in Newburgh. Thank you for joining us. It's good to see many people kind of coming back after uh, COVID has uh, maybe started to release its tight grip around us. It feels like normalcy is maybe just within our grasp. Uh, we're not trying to rush anything, but we certainly are excited about uh, maybe getting through this or past this as quickly as possible. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We want to uh, use this time when we gather for worship to equip us to really worship the rest of the week. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. But in the past three weeks, we've tried to begin understanding what the kingdom of God is all about and really who should care. I mean, why should we care, right? And I hope by now you've begun to understand that, first of all, the kingdom of God began in creation. In the Garden of Eden, God revealed himself to mankind and said, in my loving care, I want to rule and reign and allow you to flourish. And that was God's plan for creation as well as all of humankind. But it was just a few short ticks into the cosmic clock when all that really started to fall apart, not because of God, but because of man and woman who chose to disobey. And their disobedience brought sin into the world and it brought all kinds of havoc and chaos and discord. And that's continued to play out throughout history, even until today. That's really the bad news. But the good news of the kingdom of God is that God wanted to do something about that. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus coming to wor the world was to restore, especially the relationship between God and mankind. Because Jesus came, our chaotic, aimless life could be transformed into something which God really created it to be from the very beginning. We looked at the kind of king that Jesus is, and we discovered that the type of king Jesus is is that he is worthy of our worship. He's also worthy of our surrender. And he brings transforming power to our life. And this changes really everything about life, the way that we work, the way we rest, the way that we eat, the way that we create, even the way we play. We, we talked about those things last week. And today, what I hope that we would discover is that this thing that's kind of been revolving around in the air, maybe in our heads, would start to sink deep into our heart and actually express itself in the life that we live. The kingdom of God is really about God's reign through God's people over God's creation. The kingdom of God was established in creation and has unfolded throughout history as God made a covenant relationship with the people of Israel to begin with. And that covenant was to bless all people. And Jesus, when he arrived, he brought the kingdom of God into a deeper reality. His presence ushered in the kingdom of God in a mighty way. He connected the dots of what was prophesied about Messiah in the Old Testament and what it looked like for the kingdom of God to be active and living among us. To, uh, for all of people to experience the kingdom of God. And he did this by inviting people to be part of the kingdom. Jesus came on the scene and he made this declaration. The kingdom of God is very near. And he followed that declaration with an invitation. Come, follow me. Some of the earliest responders were some fishermen who were just minding their business, catching fish on the shore that day when Jesus invited them to follow him, to join the kingdom of God. Now, this invitation to follow me by Jesus, it must be understood to truly continue to understand and experience what the kingdom of God is all about. 
This was not an unusual practice in the first century, this inviting people to follow. A teacher, or then known as a rabbi, would select an individual to follow, to become a student, a learner, a disciple of this rabbi. And when a person accepted that invitation, everything about the life of that follower began to be influenced by the leader, by the teacher. They lived alongside the rabbi and they learned firsthand how to live from this person. And this required an unwavering commitment to submit to the authority of the rabbi. Disciples went where the rabbi went. They slept where the rabbi slept. They ate what the rabbi ate, as well as they shared the rabbi's passions and beliefs. The way of life of the rabbi became the way of the life of the follower. We see from all four gospels that these first followers of Jesus left everything to follow him. They left their nets, their boats, their family, their livelihood, their future, even their security. And if you follow the chronology in Matthew, you'll see that Jesus immediately begins to teach these followers what the kingdom of God is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it unpacks the type of priority and transforming power that the kingdom of God has for all those who follow Jesus. But it was more than just one great sermon by Jesus that changed everything. His followers were able to help understand the kingdom of God by, by not just what Jesus taught, but maybe what they caught, you could say. In fact, it was in following Jesus that the kingdom of God became alive. What helps us truly begin to understand the kingdom of God is to begin following Jesus as his disciple. I have a good friend who recently declared to her parents that even though she had been raised in a Christian home, she was raised by godly parents, she had attended lots of church services, she was active in youth group, even chose a Christian college, that she was no longer gonna identify herself as a Christian. This was concerning to her parents and they began to understand like why. And, and so Mary said to them, well, Christian means so many things to different people. The, the name Christian is used by so many different people and for so many different things, it's kind of been diluted. I'm no longer gonna be called a Christian, mom and dad. I just wanna be known as a follower of Jesus. You know, in our world today, many people might call themselves Christian. They may call themselves even a believer. And these are not bad terms, but we can all understand that they have certainly been diluted, even redefined by the culture around us. Christian does not necessarily mean the same thing to every person. It depends on the context or the person who's using it. And believer, well, that has some depth to it, but the quick question that follow up is like, well, what do you believe in? Or is that belief actually taking root in your actions? It's interesting that the Bible, well, the Bible uses the term Christian just three times. It uses the term believer about 15 times, but it uses the term disciple over 250 times to refer to those people who made a deliberate decision to accept the invitation to follow Jesus. We might not use the term disciple much in our world, but it is very true that we pattern ourselves after those who we think are successful or famous, popular or powerful, or that somebody who's achieved something that we aspire to. Well, I hope today all of us would come to grasp that to be part of the kingdom of God, we must be a disciple of Jesus and accept his invitation, follow me. Jeremy Treat in his book, Seek First, defines a disciple as this. To be a disciple of Jesus, it means that we are to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to become like Jesus. 
If you and I have a sincere desire for the kingdom of God, then that means that we have a sincere desire for Jesus to be with him. And I think it begins by recognizing just who Jesus is. We spent a couple of uh, moments two weeks ago just unpacking the kind of king that Jesus is. And I hope that you found he's worthy of your worship, your trust, your surrender. But it's, we got to be careful not to view Jesus as a means to an end. We have to recognize that Jesus is the end. He is the goal. The way to experience the kingdom of God is to experience Jesus, his way of life, his character, his motivations, and his purpose, the way he lives and loves. The kingdom of God comes to life in and through Jesus. So when he says, follow me, well, that contains radical implications for the lives of those first responders, but also for even us today. Treat says this, to follow Jesus means to give him the lead. He sets the agenda. He's in control. He gets the final say. Christ is king, and to accept this kingship of Christ requires a simultaneous dethroning of ourselves. To say Jesus is Lord is also to say, I am not Lord. To say his way means not mine. Author and pastor David Platt says that we have forgotten that following Jesus is not like choosing the type of syrup that we want in our coffee. No, it's more than that. It's rather a call to forsake everyone and everything other than Jesus. It's a radical abandonment. We have to come to experience and understand who Jesus is and declare that he is enough. You know, many people think that following Jesus is synonymous with attending a worship gathering or participating in religious activities, giving financially to good causes, praying when in a need, or, or maybe even living a moral life. And while all of those are positive, none of those actually accurately answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Nor do they prove that someone is following Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we learn from him and that we live like him. This word disciple, like I said, it means student. It implies knowing. Jesus is a teacher and he offers us understanding about who God is, what the kingdom of God is all about, and how we can be part of the kingdom. But knowledge is kind of a weird thing, right? We all recognize that we can know something about something, but really not know that something. Does that sound confusing? It, it, we know it from experience. I can tell you that I know a lot about basketball, but that does not mean I actually know how to play basketball. I can learn everything I need to know about brain surgery, but that does not mean you would trust me to operate on your brain. I could say, I know her or I know him, but that doesn't necessarily mean I know them, right? Well, that's actually the same about Jesus. Knowing Jesus can be a lot different than actually following Jesus. And we can all make a strong case that there is so much to know about Jesus that it's hard to get our arms around that. It makes us feel incapable of following him or maybe unequipped to follow him. But I think Jesus made it quite simple when he explained the kingdom of God. In fact, he gave two expressions that kind of sum up all of the Old Testament, all of the prophecies, all of his teaching, and really are at the heart of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, learning how to love God and love others is the heart of the kingdom. He said that in Matthew 23, 37 through 40. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Some translations have say, the second is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength can manifest itself in lots of ways, I'd love for us to focus on how Jesus did that. And I think it seems to be most evident in how Jesus had complete trust in God. Jesus lived his daily life in conscience, trusting dependence on his Father in heaven. He resisted the temptation by the devil in the desert. He had a laser focus on his mission and purpose. He navigated the pressures and influences around him. He performed miracles. He was obedient to death on the cross. He had confidence in the grave. All of those things hinged on the fact that he believed and trusted in who God is. And he calls his followers to an active, living faith in the Father, in the everyday affairs of our life. A confident trust that he'll provide our needs. Guidance to navigate the ins and outs and ups and downs of our world. Strength for the work that he's given us to do. Healing for our physical and emotional needs. And also mercy and grace and salvation from our sins. Jesus modeled for us what it looked like to have love for and faith in God. It's a picture of the kingdom of God for all of us who accept Jesus' invitation to follow him. Thomas Terrence is the director of ministry at the C.S. Lewis Institute, and he said this, one of the saddest commentaries on the church in the West today is the weakness of our faith. Secularism has seriously eroded our belief in the almighty, miracle-working God of the Bible who answers the prayers of his people and intervenes in the affairs of the world. We have embraced a reductionism that acknowledges faith in Christ as essential for salvation, but largely ignores the necessity of living by faith thereafter. You know, having faith in God means that we live each day with confident trust that God will do what he says he will do, that we can take him at his word and act with expectation that he will be faithful. And our trust and our love for God must reflect the complete trust and obedience that we see in Jesus. Because in the kingdom of God, love and trust equals obedience. It's the culmination of what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to follow him, to obey him. John says in his first epistle these words, he says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We learn to love, trust, and obey God by following Jesus, not just his teachings, but his example. Equal to loving God, Jesus says, is is loving others. And we learn how to do that best by also looking and following Jesus as our teacher and king. And Jesus expressed a love that was unconditional. It was not emotional, but volitional, an act of the will. Jesus loved those whose society had discarded. Jesus loved those who had made poor choices and had consequences to reap from that. Jesus loved those who had lost hope, who had lost direction, and he still does. Jesus loved those who loved him, but Jesus also loved those who hated him. Jesus loved those who even killed him. What a picture of true love. And this kind of love ushers people into the kingdom of God. 
Later in the same epistle, John says this about love. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for other brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Learning how to love God and others comes by following Jesus, not just understanding his teachings or observing his behavior, but by following his example, living and loving like him. Knowing all about him doesn't necessarily mean that we're living like him. Treat says to be a disciple of Jesus means to become more like Jesus every day in every way. God's grace transforms us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit empowers us to become, overcome sin and become like our Savior. The power of the kingdom of God, I think, is best seen in the transforming work that God does in the lives of those who decide to follow Jesus. Do you know somebody who's been transformed by the life of Jesus in them? You see a difference between what they were before and who they are now? I wonder, do you recognize the transforming power of Christ in your own life? Recently, I was at a, an occasion with the elders of Crossroads, and a person there that we were visiting with asked a question of all the elders. They said, he, this person asked, how have you seen God work in your life through Crossroads personally? It was a really wonderful moment just to hear all the elders, men that I trust and respect and choose to submit to, hear about how God had been working through their life or in their life through the ministry of Crossroads. One of the people who shared their story that night was John Hayden, one of our elders. And he described what his life was like before knowing Christ and what his life has been like since. John said that he grew up in a Christian home. His mom was active in church. He was at church every Sunday. But in high school, he just kind of made some really bad choices. He started drinking alcohol, doing drugs, even selling drugs, and really became this close to ending up incarcerated. And it was in that dark moment of his life, he remembered a friend who had invited him to attend youth group with him many times. And he, he reached out to that friend. And that friend invited him to a youth conference. And John admitted that he spent the night before that youth conference partying, just like he always had, showed up here at Crossroads early that morning to head off to this youth conference. And there he met Jesus, maybe for the first time or for real this time. And that has changed his life. And now, as a person looking back, a person who was isolated, a person who was hopeless, a person who was searching for meaning and purpose in all the wrong things, his life is so much different now because of Christ. He has purpose and meaning. He has a strong faith. He has confidence in knowing what God is doing in him and also what God is doing through him. You know, God's way of change is not behavior modification. It is inside-out transformation. I think it's really important for us to know where does this transforming power come from in following Jesus? And first, I want you to know it comes from the gospel. It's what the gospel is all about, transformation of those who make the decision to follow Jesus. It's good news to think that Jesus invites any one of us to follow him. Those first men that Jesus invited to follow him, they were not special in any way. They were just simply made in the image of God. They wear the exact same designer label that all of us wear. Imago Dei, made in the image of God. They weren't perfect, 
Nor did they walk in perfection when they accepted Jesus' invitation immediately. His invitation was to come to him, to follow him, to learn from him. A humble yet profound invitation that changes any of us that says yes. Treat says when the good news of Jesus penetrates our hearts, it transforms us from the inside out. The truths of the gospel reorient and recalibrate us, forming new habits, rhythms, and patterns. We want differently and we think differently, so we begin to act differently. As the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection changes your heart, your life is transformed as an overflow of what you believe and desire. Spending time with Jesus, learning how he lives and how he loves, we can begin to see how our lives reflect his life or maybe even how they don't. You know, the gospel recognizes that we have not lived exactly how God designed life to be. We haven't followed closely Jesus' life the way he modeled for us to live, but it addresses our inability to live that way consistently. The gospel is good news because it expresses to us that God created us in his image. He loves us unconditionally. That he deals with our sin by allowing Jesus' righteous life to be credited to us by him taking the punishment of our sins, death on the cross, so that we could be forgiven, set free, and made whole. This is the gospel, and that's why it's good news. Because God loves us that much, we're motivated to live our lives for him, every aspect of our life, to bring him glory and to do so by following the example of Jesus, the way he lives and the way he loves. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to understand that this is a once and all moment when we're justified before God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We use a big term to describe that. It's justification. And a simple way to remember what justification is is to remember that it's just as if I had never sinned. Jesus took our punishment. He gave us his righteousness, and we're justified before God. But the continual work of being conformed to the image of Jesus happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, accepting him as our Savior and surrendering to him as our Lord. And that process is a lifelong process, and we call that sanctification. I think both were prophesied by Ezekiel when speaking on behalf of God, he says these words in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In John 14, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be our counselor, our guide into all truth. The Holy Spirit would reside in us and dwelling in us to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. What Jesus commands in obedience, he provides with power. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our hearts and produces fruit in our lives. And so Jesus not only invites us to follow him, but he commands us to abide in him. You can look at John 15 to see those instructions. I think the combination of following and abiding produces the character of Jesus in us. 
So let me make it real practical. How can you and I follow Jesus today? I think it begins, first of all, by accepting Jesus' invitation to follow him. Make Jesus your teacher, your leader, your king. Jesus' declaration in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, indicates that he is the door to the kingdom of God. So accept his invitation to follow him, either for the first time or maybe for real this time. I want you to come to the realization that he is the only way to true life. Express your belief and trust in him as your savior, the only one who can get you out of the mess you've made of your life. Receive the grace and forgiveness that he offers from the cross to you. And then begin partnering your life after the way that Jesus lives his. Next, I think we need to spend intentional time with Jesus. And while you and I don't have the privilege of meeting with Jesus in the flesh in person today, we do have the privilege of connecting with him through reading scripture or through prayer, which is simply a conversation, and also through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. But this will require us to be intentional about how you and I spend our time each day. And so I want to challenge every one of us to spend 5, 10, 15 minutes or as long as you can in meaningful time with Jesus as a priority each day. Take time to read scripture, to pray, to spend some time reflecting on what you've just read and how you can respond as an expression of your followership of Jesus. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says these words. So it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What is the purpose of God's word or the Bible, scripture? Why is it important? Why it's necessary? Well, Paul tells Timothy why in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture teaches us the way Jesus lived and loved. It also teaches us how to follow him, how to trust God, how to love God, how to follow Jesus in our everyday life. The continual practice of reading scripture, of praying, reflecting on what you've read, applying it to your life, having conversation with God. These are practices that, that shape our lives day in and day out. And other practices like fasting or tithing or meditation or solitude or journaling, serving, all these also shape our souls and character over time. Treat says the disciplines and practices of the Christian life, they're less like boxes to be checked off and more like a river that slowly carves a path in your soul. These channels in our heart guide the flow of our love and our desires, producing contentment and gratitude for all God has done for us in Christ. You and I live in a very hectic, chaotic, busy, crazy world. And so this is going to take discipline, intentionality, commitment on our part to make sure time with Jesus happens every day. I want to encourage you to make this the first thing that you do every day. Before you reach for your phone on the bedstand and check out the scores or the stocks or the messages, before you exercise or even take a shower, before your first cup of coffee, I think God can tolerate your state before you are caffeinated in the morning. I think he should have first place in your day because he has first place in your life. He's your leader. He's your king. This is not legalistic. 
This is not like Jesus will love you more if you do. In fact, it's the opposite. It's grace-filled and out of the desire and trust that we will love Jesus more when we do. This morning, we introduced you actually to an experience that you could make and incorporate in part of your day every day. It's a chance for you to pause and to experience more of Jesus in your life. Focus your thoughts and your hearts on him. It's actually from the Pause app. And that's a resource that you could download and kind of have these devotional thoughts that guide the state of your heart every day. The YouVersion app is something we also recommend. It's filled with reading plans that help you discover more of who Jesus is and how you can follow him in your life. I use one of those plans every day. I'd also highly encourage you to check out thebibleproject.com. It has all kinds of resources of how to learn how to read the Bible, to learn about God's character, to follow Jesus. We're encouraging you to continue reading through Jeremy Treat's book, Seek First. Read chapter five this week. It's chock full of ideas of how to be with Jesus, how to learn from Jesus, and also how to become like Jesus. When you came in today, you should have picked up a card. It just was labeled Spending Time with God. We have access to all three of these resources I just mentioned in a QR code on the back that would just help you to be able to download these and learn about them so that you could continue to Find time to spend with Jesus every day. The final thing I want to challenge every one of us with is to reflect Jesus in the way that we live and the way that we love. My friends, it's not just about learning. It's about living. The true sign of learning actually comes in application, in living it out. And so as you spend time with Jesus, as you learn from him, learn how to live and love like him, allow God to work in and through your life so that he can restore creation back to its intended place. Listen to how the message translates another invitation by Jesus to come follow him, recorded in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to, to take a real wet rest. Walk with me and work with me Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My friends, it's about following Jesus to experience the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about God's reigning through his people over his creation. And to be God's person. We follow Jesus. We accept him as our savior. We surrender to him as our Lord, as our leader, as our king. We accept his invitation to follow him. And as we spend time with Jesus, we learn from him and we learn to live like him. We follow him as king. And this changes everything. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for the invitation. Thank you for creating us to have a relationship with you, recognizing the mess that we've made of life and yet reaching out to us to save us, to restore our friendship and to invite us into your rule and reign in our life, to promise to provide for us, to guide us, to work in us and to work through us, God. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would recognize the offer that stands and we would accept the invitation. God, I pray that that would change who we are from the inside out, Lord. God, this world needs something to see that's real, to believe in, to follow, that has 
direction for their life. And so I pray, God, as you continue to transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work that the gospel is doing in each of our lives, God, that the world would see, they would be changed as well. God, that it would all be for your glory and all for your purposes. Lord, would you draw us close to you? Would you speak to us, God? Would you just restore our our communion with you, God? And I pray that, Lord, as that happens, Lord, we would be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus. By your strength and power and all for your glory, God, I pray through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.